Andrew here, and my name's Keith, and we are Inside AV. Welcome to the first podcast, podcast number one. This is very exciting, isn't it? It's semi-exciting. What are we going to be talking about, Keith, on the uh, Inside AV podcast? We'd like to get into the nuts and bolts of anything AV, really. Mm -hmm. Consumer electronics with emphasis on, what, stereo? Uh, I think we'll cover the lot, hi-fi. Video, um, automation products. Yes. Um, yeah, anything of interest, anything in the AV world. So, projectors, TVs, yeah. iPads, Blu-ray yeah. players and recorders. No problem. Loudspeaker systems. Cover in what sense, do you think? Just generally chin-wagging about it or uh, something in Oh, look, we're going to do product reviews yes. um, when they come come available. Mm-hmm. Um when the reviews become available or the product? The products. Okay. Uh, I think I feel that uh, what we can offer is uh, our 55 years of experience in the trade as qualified yeah, uh, fixer-uppers and installers. That scares you when we work that out. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was pretty hard. It was 30 plus 25. Yeah. That's pretty hard. I need to pocket calculator for it. Um, I uh, think that I feel strongly that uh, a lot of broadcasting related to uh, technology and uh, audiovisual products, etc., is uh, heavily tainted by manufacturers' press releases. I, I feel that we should go past those press releases and offer something more, a more in-depth viewpoint yeah, than the like fluff a, that mm, corporates generate. Like a, a trade view. A trade view. In other words, the way you and I think about products, we just look at press releases and go, yeah, sure, Gary, and then just move move on and fiddle with the product to see whether it actually does what yeah, it's... Yeah, plug it in and make it work. Yeah, and so often... We find out what does and doesn't work. Yes, that's right. So there you go, folks. Uh, it's sort of a, you know, look, very laid-back, not-professional broadcasters-type uh, podcast. No. Very simple production, but hopefully some good cold hard facts that might help your buying decisions or guide you to your next purchase as yeah, in, we, on an upgrade we, path or yep. and just a two second potted history uh, because we'll have a proper biography of each of us in a future episode where we'll bore you with our past lives past lives but maybe just give us Keith uh, a quick uh, one minute maybe 30-second overview, just so that people know who you and I okay. are and what we currently do. Radio. Um, I did a four-year apprenticeship as a TV and video technician. Mm, and then... That's damn exciting stuff. Yeah. So from the repair side, and then moved, um, then started up a um, my own business called Visiontronics mm-hmm. in uh, 1993 mm-hmm. uh, with a business partner. Um, then got out of the repair side and into the installation uh, custom install industry I suppose Mm. in about 2000 Okay, and that's what I've been doing ever since Um, installing what sort of things um, projectors TVs full blown home cinema systems um, yeah anything with audio video attached to it we're out there Setting it up, plugging it in, making it work. What would be your 
fanciest job? What did you get the most out of? What was the biggest challenge? Um, trying to give the listeners an, in, an understanding at what level you and I work at. Okay. We're not installing or selling uh, Sanyo 3-in-1s or um, no. LG freebie with okay. the TV HT systems. We do full-blown home cinemas with you know single remotes that automate the whole process from watch movie to watch TV mm. to um, full-blown automated houses that you can control your lights, your pool pump, your air conditioning, your uh, sound system, mm-hmm, multi-room. Mm-hmm. So we're, I can't say I've done gazillion-dollar jobs, but I've done you know high-value jobs um, whole house systems. Over $100,000. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, thank you for that uh, okay. outline. Have we got enough time to do your? We'll just do it now and get it quickly. done. Quickly. Because uh, we should move on to the show. And I think what, I'm not sure what segment we're, we've recorded a few segments, to be honest, because we're mm-hmm. not great producers of content. <laughs> We're not organised at all, but we have recorded some interesting, rather drawn-out, boring conversations regarding uh, review of a Cambridge DAC. Yes. Uh, discussed where things are made and whether they're really made there. Or, you know. I shouldn't nod, should I? I should say yes. Because yeah, because the TV camera isn't installed yet. No. Uh, and the... What else did we do? Oh, we did a... a discussion on five technologies that weren't worth... Oh, that was good. Crap, and then that was a, that was enjoyable. Uh, we, I don't know, there's a few others, but anyhow, it'll all come together soon. It will. The point is, um, you are listening to the finished product now, and uh, you'll hear these things shortly. And what I'm trying to say is, I don't know what the segment is that's coming next. But anyhow, two seconds on me. I, uh, same as Keith, uh, radio, TV uh, apprenticeship. So qualified person got qualified just. Two months less than thirty, two months less than twenty-six years ago. So thirty years working in the business in March two thousand and twelve. Bit scary, and uh, still wearing second-hand clothes and driving a broken-down um, <laughs> VW Golf. Well, it's a VW. It's not broken down. It's not a Golf. Based on a Golf, I believe. As in a VW Caddy van. I've really hit the big time, and. Uh, a, uh, yeah, fixing, selling, importing, hi-fi. Don't do any installs much. I'll leave Keith to do that. Uh, but, yeah, have done heaps of um, uh, big time with Pronto over the years as far as automation. Of course, high-end hi-fi sales from uh, Name, Spender, Riga, you know, Sugden, what have you, Neat Speakers, etc. Currently, but previously, have sold every brand under the sun, I think. Uh, all of the ones you'd expect and a, and a few more, um, you know, and import the Spender range of loudspeakers from the UK. Uh, that's my main importing activity. And uh, so importing, retailing uh, and repairs of, of good equipment under the banner of AudioFix. And we're both based on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia, which is, uh, I doubt whether you can hear it on this recording, but outside it is absolutely bucketing down. Yes, Hard to we, call it the Sunshine Coast. We have it? had, I'm sure, six inches of rain today, and that's why Keith and I are both sitting inside recording this because uh, it's hard to go outside and work without, you know, if you walk 20 feet <laughs> from the door to the van, you will be wet through. So, uh, and 
think I've said R about 20 times. I don't know what's wrong with me this afternoon. Probably because previous recordings we've done, we've managed to uh, crack <laughs> tubes, drink beer, and the, and the bull has thro- flown. Flown? Thrown. Flowed. Flowed. So I think we've summed it up. We're both yeah. working in the trade, still are, can't do anything else. Stuck in the stuck business. Stuck in the trade. Know it reasonably well. Obviously, no one's an expert at every part, and it's such a complex business these days. I think we have our little individual areas of expertise. And uh, thanks, Dave, for interrupting. Fuckhead. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Dave in. And here's our guest for today. <laughs> anyhow, we were there we go. So, uh, anyhow. On to the next segment. So uh, we've, we've got a few different segments that we're going to cover today. Um, one of them is a review segment. So review number one is... We've got ourselves a Cambridge Audio DAC Magic Plus. Yep, the new DAC Magic. It um, follows on from quite a few years of the DAC Magic, which has been a... Yeah, you know, highly regarded product, very good value for money, digital to audio converter. Did I say digital to audio converter? Digital to analogue converter. Digital to analogue, yes. I, that's what I thought was DAC, and actually I'm, I'm going to say I'm very naive in the world of DACs. Um, I do understand that there's DACs in a lot of devices already, but this is a standalone DAC. Very valid point, Keith, a standalone DAC, one in its own little box. Um, yeah, DACs are in everything, of course. Any, any kind of digital product that has speakers in it or an audio output socket has a DAC in it to convert digital sound back to analogue. Um, it's, it's not, in one way, a terribly complicated thing, but the way that you implement it, the filtering you use, uh, the analogue output stage that's after the, you know, the you know, analogue conversion part, uh, all of these things have a significant effect on the, um, on the uh, you know, resultant fidelity. And um, the uh, DAC Magic Plus is an improved version of the DAC Magic, which is unsurprising. That's why it's got plus, plus after to it. it. But not only is it plus, as in a new improved version, but it's plus a few extra features as well. Uh, it has an output level control, which is sort of quite handy if you sort of could want to almost use it as a preamp. Um, of course, it doesn't act as a preamp for analog inputs because it doesn't have any analog inputs, but it does have three digital inputs and yep. uh, so yeah you could conceivably plug in your television, your DVD recorder and um, Xbox sound or, or any number of other things or of course your CD transport which is why a lot of people buy an outboard DAC is to improve their CD transport sound quality, improve the sound of their hi-fi system but I think what you want to ask me questions about today and I know what I want our listeners to understand yes although I'm sure they already do, is that... Um, <laughs> it's just me. It's just me. Yeah, well, we can reiterate it, you know. But uh, what we want them to understand is the flexibility of such products. Some people perhaps don't realise how many different ways you can use it. Well, that's what was, that was my first question. What what's, would be its first purpose in life? Or what would? why would you just go out and say, I really need a DAC Magic? Is it just to improve your sound quality? Or is it... It is primarily to improve your sound quality that you get from maybe existing sources that do have analogue and DA stages in them, um, you know, like a CD player. I mean, if you've got a CD player with uh, digital or optical out, yes, uh, which you know, a lot of players do, and they might have a very middle-of-the-road you know, analogue and very digital, uh, 
well, particularly the analog output stage, but but also the DA converter may not be that flash, or it might be particularly old school and not a very good implementation of an old school chip as well. So uh, that's where the DAC Magic Plus or a number of other DACs that are out there, the DAC Magic Plus is extremely well priced for what it does. Um, well, just looking at it too, it's quite a well-finished little product, as in physical construction and, and the look of it. It is. Um, it's um, quite a neat little package, and I do like the little stand that it comes with where you can actually mount it. I don't like that at all. You don't? No. I think oh. it's the stupidest thing. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to stand it up on its bum. It, it probably looks a bit like a... A Nintendo, a Nintendo Wii standing in its little yeah, bracket. I, I, they did that. The first one was like that. And it doesn't have any feet on it when you pull it out of the box. They give you four feet to stick on its... Oh, the little chocolate box, sit yeah. It down like a, I suppose it is a very odd size for a, for a component to sit on its long dimension. So maybe you stand it up if you're short of desk space. But well, that, that's where I thought. If you're going to put it on your desk and you're using a computer, mm. a computer and a DAC, would that be a good combination? To get your, your your digital media and then pump that into your your hi-fi system. Absolutely, it, that that's a looks like an almost the number one usage for it. A could be purpose that, simply for because it. Uh, you know getting decent audio out of a computer, even if it's got a good sound card in it, is difficult. It's a it's a very noisy environment, whether it be a laptop or a desktop. Very hard to get good analog sound. Very rarely will you get good analog analog sound out of a PC. Mac people, of course, will tell you that the sound is fantastic. Uh, we won't go there. Um, no, because it's got USB in. You can you can take uh, direct from a USB into that, and, and you're off and running. It's off just running. amazing. Um, and that bypasses some crappy uh, sound card that might be in the machine, uh, or some dodgy you know, headphone socket, effectively, which is on a laptop. Gets, it bypasses that completely. And then you can take that a step further and use... Uh, if you use oh, you did say it had a level control, didn't you? You're talking out the top of me. Sorry, sorry. I just, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> you did say it had a level control. Well, I'll shut up. You asked the questions. I've, fin- I've finished anyhow. Yes, it is very well made. Moving right along. Well, I do have one really question. I don't know whether this is a mistake or, or what's its purpose in life. It, obviously, it's got the two digital inputs, whether you go coaxial or with the uh, optical. Yeah. But why would you go in digital and come out digital? That's um, D to D. Uh, you do that for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is you might be feeding it off to um, a recording device. That would be the first thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. you might be um, you might be using the switching side of it, maybe uh, to, to feed to a recorder. For instance, if you've got two digital sources you want to record from, potentially, uh, rather than unplugging and plugging into the back of your recorder, you could use the keep it. Use the DAC Magic Plus, made by Cambridge Audio, designed in Ingling. Ingling? England. Yeah, designed in Ingling. Uh, Ingling's a country just to the east of uh, England uh, and uh, made in uh, China. China. Um, <laughs> uh, but I did find out for you, because I did ask this question earlier, it has on it stamped on the, the ISO 9001 approved facility. Yeah, yeah, look, I think um, Cambridge Audio products are exceptionally well made. As far as Chinese manufacturing goes, they were um, definitely at the top of the tree. Yeah. Their casework is particularly well-crafted. Circuit boards are good too, certainly much better than the average, and uh, quality of components is, is pretty good. We might find out more about that 
in a later segment. Yeah, well, we're we hoping to. Well, I think we will. I yeah. think we'll break it open and have a look. Have at a it. good squeeze inside. Yeah. I tell you what, one other thing that sort of impressed me straight off mm. um, is the packaging that it came in. <laughs> and I, I mean, I read through the, the information on the back and mm. information on the side, and it tells you just about all the points you need to know to utilize this device. You don't even need the owner's manual. I mean, there's more. Uh, inf- there is more information in the owner's manual. You mean on the outside of the box? On the outside of the box, the actual features, what it can do, how it does it, they're pretty well explained. Just about everything that would need to be answered in your buying decision, or even mm. if you needed to know quickly how you can use it or what you can use it for. Yeah, pretty much. I mean. You're, well, well com- it has got compared features. to other products. Ah, look, look. It's uh, one thing I'll say about um, Cambridge is some real smart people design the whole thing as a package. You know, like the packaging itself is is well put together. This thing is going to arrive in one piece. There's no doubt about it. It'll arrive with no scratches or handprints on it because of the bag that it's in. Uh, the manual's very easy to read. Uh, like you say, on the back of the packaging, it shows you a picture of it, where everything goes, and what it does. Um, well, they've got yeah, all. They got the bases covered. As against another excellent DAC, the Riga comes in a plain brown box with a super rudimentary instruction manual that says basically how to turn it on, try different filter settings, and that's about it. Yeah. And uh, but that's the philosophy for those philosophy of those two companies, and they're polar opposite. You know, the Riga is designed in England and made in England. The Cambridge is designed in England, made in China, and there's an influence there towards a mainstream market of, of making it more, you know, user-friendly, and uh, there's less hi-fi mystique about the Cambridge well, product. Well, the other bit of user-friendliness, it's, it's got a, a Bluetooth, or has the ability to put a Bluetooth adapter into it. Yeah, it has a little Bluetooth dongle thing they call the BT100, and, uh, yeah, I suppose you could use that if you were just trying to get sound out of a Bluetooth-enabled phone. Does iPhone have Bluetooth? Yeah, yeah. So most of your mobile devices have got Bluetooth. So, so the, the point is you're streaming audio out of your iPhone into this thing. Basically. And then the question that needs to be raised is versus a dock, and of course in docks for an iPhone we have analogue and digital docks. Yes, true. The digital dock, of course, gets a nice, clean, you know, unadulterated stream. Well, I did double-check... zeros and ones, but does the Bluetooth deliver that, or is it effectively analogue sound? Well, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I thought you to look into that. Well, I did have a quick look into the specs on, the on Bluetooth, mm. and apparently it does the full um, audio spectrum, 20 hertz to 22,000 kilohertz. Yes. Um, it's got that covered. Um, so not 20,000 kilohertz, 22,000. Oh, I think they've said 22. That yeah. extra, it's got that extra bit of... Uh, Hearing. Yeah, it's <laughs> just for those uh, gats and dogs that might be listening. Um, that more was importantly, a... I'm trying to understand what kind of data stream would be being passed. It must be a digital data stream, but is it reformatted from a reformatted analogue 
as thing, in, or is, is there another conversion in, words, in there? Can you effectively are you receiving a, a wave file in effect at the DAC for the DAC to un uh, for the DAC to turn back into analog? That's yeah. Well, like, is it a PCM data stream? Is is I suppose the question I'm asking. And uh, wave file's the wrong term. And um, you know, uncompressed audio, I suppose. Well, is it uncompressed? I mean, it depends what the files were on the bloody iPhone. Phone but, to start with. <laughs> but, oh, look, I don't even know what I'm going to say. We'll do some more research on that, folks, and we'll come yeah, back to you. But the it's got that Bluetooth. feature. The point being, I suppose that's effectively a fourth input in a way. I, I would have to put it down as a convenience factor. I wouldn't put it as must-used input. No, the, look, the most... Well, there's no most... Well, there's no most handy feature on this unit. It does everything. Let's just run through the features. Okay. Looking at the back panel, on the, on the left-hand side you've got RCA analogue audio outs. They obviously plug into your amplifier, your existing amplifier. Oop, that's the box. So just this, fit, this, this DAC fits into the system in the sense of there's another source component in your system. So instead of a CD or a tuner or a tape deck or a turntable or a DVD recorder or a TV or whatever... This unit plugs in to your analog input. Um, you can sort of suss out that I'm not 12 years of age when I mentioned tape deck just then. <laughs> um, so, so we've got RCA analog audio out. Next to that, we've got uh, to the right of those. So that's the extreme left of the case. The next thing along is a pair of XLR balanced outs, which is you know a pretty useful feature in a in a higher end system. And the assertion from Cambridge is that it really is a balanced out, not just an XLR connector with yeah. um, appropriate wiring that's unbalanced. Would be good if you had um, powered monitors and go straight to them. Um, yeah, like pro- like a pair of Mackies or something like that would have the XLR connectors on it, and you'd plug it in with a short balance lead or a long balance lead for that matter, and you'd, you know, why you manage a balance. And I suppose that's why they're there because used in a semi. Um, a semi-pro situation on long leads to powered speakers, you, there is that potential for hump pick up, and that would avoid it. And that's the real reason, of course, balanced exists, not for some, you know, improved method of sound quality. It's simply uh, it's to avoid hum and noise pickup. Um, now, adjacent or to the right of of the balanced outs, we've got uh, a couple of pairs of. Um, Digi- uh, no, digi- we've got the digital outs. Sorry, digital, yeah, digital outs. outs are next. Yep, in the form of an RCA uh, or a or a um, or a uh, Toslink. Toslink optical out. Yeah. So you know, however you want to call it, SPDIF outputs in the form of Sony Phillips digital interface, uh, coaxial in the form of RCA, and uh, optical in the form of. Uh, is Toslink. is there um, not that I can tell, but is there actually any difference between the two? Not uh, really. We They're, can't. We can't go. They're just two hello, different. Hello, Grant. Uh, <laughs> we'll come back to that on a, on a future issue with this uh, fine podcast because, uh, you know, Tossling versus coaxial, and, and there's, there's, there's. I'll take note of that, so we should find out a bit yeah, more. Yeah, just yeah, note that down. Um, to the right of the outputs, which, as we've discussed previously, you previously probably used for you know getting a record out signal to a recording device. So I'm two actually, I'm actually now looking at this product thinking. This would also not only be like a home use product, but in a small studio, it's going to have an application. What would that application be? Well, if you're using your power monitors and you've got your little mixing desk and um, 
Well, you certainly use it, uh, if you were using hard drive recording, you'd definitely use it because you'd, depending how you're getting the audio into your hard drive recording system, uh, you've certainly got a direct digital connection out. You could use a very basic laptop with a multi-track program on it. Um, of course, once again, we get back to how do you get the signal in there, but, uh, you know... It's in there. <laughs> it's well, if you were doing sampling and stuff and rooting around, um, yeah. Yeah, the point is it's it's a pure digital connection and then to a pair of powered monitors, definitely. Um, uh, it's certainly a way you're going to get much better monitoring quality. Um but moving along... Yep, let's finish off the back, the back panel. Back. So we've got two pairs of inputs to the right of the um, outputs there. Um, the uh, Once again, uh, coaxial and optical, so input one, input two. Uh, interesting point, one to be remembered, If you you can plug in either or but not both. So yeah, you really we did look that up, didn't we? I, yeah. That was another one of my dumb inputs, questions. Yeah. yeah, no auto switching like some DACs. So if one input's dead, it'll toggle to the other one or vice versa, effectively making it a four-input device. That's not the case with this DAC. And then, of course, you've got the third input in the form of the USB, um, which is a you know, printer-sized USB Um the, uh, the square one, yeah. The square one, not yep. to be confused with the uh, normal USB that's to the top right of that, which is the uh, for the BT100 input uh, audio, Bluetooth audio receiving device, which you can buy from Cambridge for a small extra fee of $1,200. $1,200? I'm getting one. <laughs> no, I, think it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's 100 bucks. I should look it up. We should find out. Some um, people... It's not much. It may be less than that. They could throw it in with every, I don't know. We'll, we'll find that out. Now, uh, and power connection, of course, with the supplied uh, Australian spec um, uh, power pack. Wall wart uh, is uh, included, and yeah, plugs in, and it's um, uh, 12 volts DC. And there's a bit to run through on the front panel. Front it's... panel, yeah, well, you've got four key things going on there. You've got a, f- a filter selector. I'm not going to do this in any particular order, but there's a, there's a couple of different filter shapes. And you can select that. You can obviously select a couple of inputs. And there's a whole bunch of lights that tell you what uh, sampling frequency is coming in. And the two interesting things, though, to get past that are the volume control and the headphone socket, uh, which are uh, super handy and are the two things that the previous model did not have, um, the headphone uh, socket. Oh, okay, so that's their extras from last they're model. The, they're the plus bits. Other than the improved performance from a different... Um, presume and I will come back to this what what's actually in the box when we pull the thing apart yes, in the next segment. Yes. But yeah, we there's improved, you know, compatibility with twenty four bit one ninety two K uh high bit files or H D files or whatever you like to call those um high sampling rate, high bit rate uh files that you can download off certain websites. Uh so potential for much better sound quality uh, using those high bit files. So it's got that feature but like I say, that's getting away from where we're at, which is the headphone socket and the volume control. The volume control is pretty obvious. Adjust the analog output level so that uh, you can uh, use it as preamp. You can plug this straight into a power amp or active speakers, as we discussed, and turn the volume up and down. The headphones are fairly obviously uh, same thing. Volume control controls the headphone out, and uh, you can, um, you know, plug in a decent set of headphones, and you have a little discrete headphone amp stage driving it. Uh, which is a good thing. And a, yeah. lot of, a lot of high-end stuff that I sell does not have a headphone socket, so this is one way of gaining one. Maybe the headphones are c- coming back in too. No, I don't think so. No? I've sold about 
12 pairs in 30 years. <laughs> Someone buys them. They just don't buy them from me. The, um, the catch with that, of course, headphone idea is that, um, you know, doesn't doesn't work for your whole system, does it? Because you've got other things plugged into your amp which are not getting to that headphone socket. It's only whatever you have plugged into the those Those four choices. So let's wrap up segment one of the review on the DAC Magic by yes. simply saying... It's it's it just looks like a super value for money. Overall, great, thing. great, great product. Welcome, folks, to the uh, first segment of Avoid It, where we break equipment open. Well, we don't break it; we just pull it apart. Carefully. That's right, using our highly skilled... Years of experience, I yeah, suppose. Qualified technical skills. I tell you what, it was a bit hard to get this one apart. It wasn't straightforward. Yeah, we've pulled apart the Cambridge uh, DAC Magic Plus. Um, it's, it's... Well put together. It's a robust piece of yeah. equipment, isn't it? Yeah, you're standing on me again. Sorry. That's all right, I finished. Um... It, it is it is well screwed together. Um, very nice. I've got to start saying um. There's a lot of ums coming out of my mouth tonight. I, I really need another uh, another beer. Look, it, um, it's a bit of a trick to pull apart. Require yeah. a torch, a screwdriver, a long screwdriver, and half a beer. It um, that really wasn't that hard, but it is certainly is not a flimsy case. It's nicely folded, uh, uh, pressed uh, steel. Uh, metal enclosure, uh, obviously steel is a metal. Um, uh, back plane is uh, steel. The front panel is uh, quite thick aluminium, and it's extruded with a sort of a, a couple of uh, uh, ledges, if you like, on it, which other things are bracketed to, and it's extremely sturdy. And I suspect that um, you could throw this thing from a twelve-story building, and when it hit the bottom, it would be rooted. <laughs> um, but if you threw it from a one-story building, I think you'd get away with it. You might get away with it. Yeah. So um, it uh, good quality inside. Uh, all the bits that were suggested would be there are there. Um, yeah. Well, that's my first impression. It, it is a nice-looking product. It's well made. It's there's nothing cheap about it. Uh, there isn't, is there? It's surprising. It's not. It's obviously not a piece of. Uh, you know, Nagra equipment or something. Well, it wasn't our typical Chinese phobia piece of equipment. Now, this is... Uh, for the money that it sells for, which... Is it $700 or $800, Keith? I think it's just under the $800 mark. $799? $799. Well, I keep forgetting whether it's $799 or $699, but it doesn't matter because in a second I'm going to run away and check the price. We but... Can- but in the meantime, good quality capacitors, good quality electrolytics. Value, value. There's plenty of value for money, really. For what it does and the way it's made, uh, I have no nothing negative, really, about the product. No, the board's not covered in glue that's going to uh, corrode away. At some point. It's, uh, the electrodes should be fine because the power supply... Uh, is external, so there's no switch mode power supply built into it, which is going to um, kill, you know, the high-frequency uh, uh, signals are going to kill capacitors, so that's not going to happen. The 
components, uh, the sorry, the output socketry is all PC mounted, uh, but it is sturdily screwed to the back plane, and therefore there shouldn't be any issues with plugging fatigue in on the plugs. Don't. Yep. Uh, relay switched outputs for muting. Um, nice. Um, I don't know. I've good solid power switch that's highly overrated. I think, um, considering the amount of current that's going through it. I, as a technician, have trouble seeing where this thing is going to fail. The board is extremely compact. Um, that is for sure. The corner where the DSP stuff is happening... Yeah, it gets really busy, doesn't it? It's very busy. Um, um, some little, little, little fingers were working in there. Yeah, that, well... So, on a score of... Um, you know, or, or, or a rating of 0 to uh, 10 as far as apparent build quality, I, I will give it a... Drum roll. Yeah, I'm ready. I'll give it an 8. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. 8. I, I can't say anything. 8. I'll give it 8.5 just to be a bit different. I've, I, I mean, the well, I'll give it 8.5 because I've used like a 4 mil thick piece of aluminium as a faceplate. Yeah, not just that, but it's a structural part of the chassis and the bracketry surrounding it, it, it in the mm. sense that it's not there purely for dress. No. There's a lot of uh, overpriced, underperforming, you know, hi-fi jewellery is. It's uh, the way they've designed what is a very light uh, tin case or enclosure is designed such that because it's folded halfway up, etc., it's, uh, so it's two pieces like sort of a clamshell effectively, it... It stiffens it up. Um, yep. Very neat how they've made it so you can get the top section off for a quick look to save pulling the bottom out. <laughs> just uh, the bottom just for us. They probably did it for us. Cow because the clamshells are screwed in the back of the front panel, so you've got to get a long screwdriver in there to get them off. The uh, and then the back plane's held on with numerous screws, and as I say, it all ties the whole thing together. It ties the back plane screwed to the case, and in turn, all the socketry screwed to that, so... I can't see... Even the DC socket is screwed to the back plane, isn't it? I believe so. Yep. Yes, it is. I yep. mean, this is a really well-screwed-together thing. From a technician's perspective, and, you know, we see over the years all these things that fall off and they're just bloody crappy design is what causes it. Um, okay, the, where it falls down, okay, the electros are not... You know, they're not Elners or Panasonics or something. They're, they're just Chinese caps, but... Uh, they're going to be under a bit of heat stress, but not much. They're 105 degree rated mm -hmm. at a glance. I didn't look at every single one of them. Um, no, I like it. Like I said, a solid eight. Uh, dry joints on the regulator, transistors maybe at some point in the future, but that would be fairly easily fixed. Straightforward, isn't it? I mean, we're only halfway into it, and it wouldn't take much to take the base plate off now. But there's no point. No. Um, the soldering I can see all looks good. No, I'm happy with that. Okay, well, that's first void it. And we're back. We're back. Thank you. Andrew? Keith, Inside AV. Inside AV. Now, you were talking... Five most used te useless technologies ever invented. In our industry. Or yeah, I suppose that would be the point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, good so point. what do you got off the top of your head? 
Or I got nothing. you've thought about this? <laughs> well, no, I haven't thought about it at all. But uh, something will come to me in a second. What is the definition of a technology, though, I suppose? I mean, maybe I meant five most useless inventions. I mean, one that springs immediately to mind is DCC. We are going back a bit here, but digital compact cassette, which was like a normal cassette, Phillips decided that they would um, uh, record digital data on that. Yes. Totally non-backwards. Uh, well, obviously, you couldn't take a DCC tape and put it in a... In fact, from memory, look, you can't put DCC it in. Was so, had so little success that it was gone before I got to try it out. I've never seen a machine in the flesh... I think they made them in Philips and obviously Marantz, since that's as good as one and the same. And I don't know if anyone ever made one. Meanwhile, Sony was doing DAT and a few other brands actually bought into that. Didn't they have mini disc too? Well, well, DAT was yeah, DAT was before both mini disc and DCC. DAT so, DAT sort of faded and became semi pro or pro, and. Yes, the, the, yeah, the direct opposition was Sony's Minidisc, which was a bloody good little format, really. And uh, it did have some minor success. And then, interestingly, later on, uh, was re-released. Like eight years or something after DCC and Minidisc were first launched, Sony attempted to relaunch Minidisc with yep. some small amount of success in around about the years 99, 2000, 2001. i tell you what, now we're going to do a, I think... We should do a, a retro review because I've got four Sony mini displays in the workshop. Have you really? <laughs> in mint condition. Wow. So um, got left behind. Okay. Um, I actually don't know whether I've got a disc to plug in the thing <laughs> and try it. But uh, we're still selling They're still, it's a, they're nice little machines, like put together well. They are. They're, they're good units. And, um, so I wouldn't call Minidisc a dud, but I would call DCC a dud. DCD, yeah, yep. DCD. DCC. CC. Digital Compact Cassette. Uh, that's not really a technology. I suppose that is a technology. Yeah. And it, what did it do? It, it took a format that was, you know, like, oh, no, let's not get started on Compact Cassette. I mean, really, whoever listened to music, no, let's stop it. Stop. We're not going to go there. Um, oh... Another useless technology. There's been so many. Well, this, this, one, is, this is going to be a little bit a yes and no technology. Mm. Projection screens. Projection screens. Yeah. I'm going to shoot myself in the foot here, but... Oh, be careful. Okay. Stuart might be on the phone. <laughs> and I don't mean, mean Stuart Granger. I mean Mr. Stuart. Stuart, yeah. Mm. Uh, I have done installations. Be careful, Keith. <laughs> With screens. I don't know if you should tell this story. I think it's worth telling. Um, is this a trade secret story? Yes, it probably is. Far oh, away. Look, a screen certainly has a purpose in a home cinema. Mm. Um, it's the thing you put the picture on. Yeah, mm. certainly has a purpose in um, a lot of commercial applications mm-hmm. because you can't get an image on a black curtain that well no no um bit wavy yeah but i have been privileged to installations that i've done over the years and particularly on motorized screens Mm -hmm. um which i really am not a fan of motorized screens if you're serious about home cinema a a flat screen Mm. 
Mm. Or a fixed flat screen is certainly the way to go. What about tab tension motorised screens that cost a thousand, a thousand dollars, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars? Yeah, that's uh, what do I they was, work. Well, they do work in the fact that the image is quite flat. Mm-hmm. Um, some brands certainly work a lot better than others, but I'm not going to go into brands. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, a painted wall against some screens. <laughs> You cannot see the difference. No, a very carefully painted wall. There was a company years ago that oh, I knew a guy who was importing it, um, Screen Goo, which was really just overpriced paint. But yep. the point is, if you prepared a wall nicely or perhaps used a sheet of MDF, and you, you could make a very good screen for a few hundred dollars. I believe there's a story once... Yes. <laughs> ..where you... The reason why you don't like motorised screens is... You tell the story. Okay. So on this installation, we had a fairly large screen, mm-hmm. um, 180 inch. 180? 80. 180. Yeah. yeah. That's big. Uh, that's so a commercial job? It was a commercial application. Um, we had a off-white painted wall yes. the, behind it, a gyprock wall. Yeah. Um, in the process of setting up the automation of having the projector and the screen all come up and down in the right sequence. Yes. Um, we had the opportunity of having it half the screen up and the projector <laughs> still on. This, And I'd have to swear that the image on the wall was better than the image on the screen. In what way? Um, just overall, not so much clarity, but just... Well, actually... I can't say it was better. I would have to say it was no better on yes. the wall. It was than it, different than it was on the screen. Presumably, there was different. Well, there wasn't any reflectivities, different brightness levels. Well, there was no performance difference. I didn't. There know. was no <laughs> difference between the screen and the wall. Did this screen like cost money or something, or like it wasn't free, was it? No, it was being such a large screen. Um, it was a substantial amount of money. More than $100? <laughs> um, More yeah. than $1,000? Yes. More than $10,000? Yes. More than $15,000? About that. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we laughing? Because... Because let's just summarise screens. They are bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no... no. They have a purpose. I mean... Yeah, they have a purpose of making people money. (laughs) It's true. Uh, No, if you've got a wall that's, like, made out... If you've got a stucco wall or something, you're going to need a screen. Oh, you're going to need a screen. In the right application. Yeah, and if you want uh, artwork on the wall because you hardly ever use your projector and it's a multi-purpose room, you want to bring the screen down in front of it. Yep. But you do need a tab tension screen. Roll-down screens, motorised screens, are eventually develop waviness. Yes. So yeah, that's my... Although fiberglass screens aren't too bad. They're pretty stable. Don't buy a cheap screen. No. You, you do have to, you do have to spend money on a screen. I mean, and when you get to those big size screens, that's you, you're, you're paying for not only just the physical amount of material, mm. but... The, uh, the strength of the motor to, to wind it up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's a bit in it. 
I'm not saying there isn't. So, but performance-wise, yeah. I do have a little bit of a chuckle sometimes. There is a particular brand of screen that isn't is not inexpensive. Yep. And I've had a few clients say to me over the years, eh, I'm not sure that's any better than the wall. <laughs> and that's a $20,000, $15,000, product. And, yeah, I'm talking home cinema size, not your big 180-inch yeah, yeah. sucker. I'm talking a fixed screen. Probably yeah. an anamorphic, yeah, you know, like a two, three, five by one screen. But, <sighs> no, it's, it's, you, it's all wrong. You've paid that amount of much. But, hey, I had, um, I had reason to have a chat with, um, this is just trivia now, talking about money. I had reason to chat because we do service work on B&O products, ad alert. Um, there's a new B&O TV, which is not that new. It's been around. All hydraulically operated. Yes. Raises it up and down. Yep. Centre speaker comes forward, all this sort of malarkey. A beautiful piece of engineering in typical B&O fashion. It's 103 inch. It's a huge screen. It's big. Weighs, oh, it's weighs five or 600 kilos or something. It's a serious piece of engineering. You could jack your car up with it. But it costs a quarter of a million dollars in Australia. In the Australian market, a 103-inch B&O TV, I think it's called the 4103, 4-103, is $250,000. That's a lot of screen. Alternatively, if you want a 103-inch screen, you could uh, switch on the JVC that's in this room now for five grand. And it's and on a 110-inch screen Yep, that's painted on the wall. Oh, you've got the painted on the wall. I do. Mind you, so. I spent about a day fine finishing, plaster it and painting yep. it and masking it off. And So really, a $1,000 fixed screen was probably a better deal. But, um, you know, in fact, it's definitely a better deal. Than all the effort. It, it actually is, yeah. Because... The problem with the plaster work is that if it's in the middle of the wall where the join is between the two sheets of material, you really need to spend a bit of time on that and make it just right. Yep. Uh, so we've that's, got another that's, three pieces of useless technology. Yeah, we've only done two. Oh, we could, include, we could almost include the B&O TV as useless technology. <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean... What's the right application for that? What do you want? Do you want a second-hand... 360 Ferrari and a projector, or do you want it just a TV? Or do you want a house <laughs> so you can put the TV <laughs> out of the rain? <laughs> well, not quite. I don't get much of a house for 250 grand, but gee whiz, it's a bloody good down payment. Anyhow, moving right along. Next disaster technology. Now, this is not a definitive release, by the way, folks. We're just no. rambling. But um, there has been some jokes over the years. Oh, actually, this one I, I've always wondered, and, and this will be my ignorance coming through, mm-hmm. the super tweeter. The super tweeter? Mm. Oh, the thing that goes above 20K? Yeah. Mm, touchy subject. Touchy subject. Uh, That's up your alley, though, isn't it? That's your... There was a big deal a few years ago with SACD, another orphaned format that, that really was always destined to go nowhere, and sure enough it did. And yet it was a very good format, um, much like Minidisc, another Sony invention. Uh, and their big claim to fame due to the high, higher uh, sampling frequency, etc. 
well, I don't know whether it had a higher sampling frequency or what it did. The point is it went to about 40K. Mm-hmm. So the idea was you had to have SAD, SACD, as in Super Audio CD, standard speakers. In other words, the, somehow the response went up to 35 You know what the best part about Super Audio CDs mm. that I liked in here was yeah. their logo. <laughs> it's a bit sad, isn't it? But it's such a cool logo. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never noticed. It's not a bad logo. Like, you know, they probably... Some guy got paid 150 grand to develop it, oh. so, you know. Okay, so back to the, the Super Tweeter and the Super Audio CD. You had to have... You would be foolish. What was put forward was that that you would be silly not to have super tweeters speakers that went up to forty k if you've got a source component that went to forty k. Right. The, the, the thing where all that comes undone, and this is where the um, the the mystery comes in, is that your ears, quite simply, do not hear anything above about thirteen, fourteen, fifteen k, as we've covered in another article. Yeah. And you know, and, and when you're you know a child or you know fresh out of the um, you know fresh home from the hospital, yep. Managed to see how clean that right up. Yeah, you did. Twenty k. That's as good as you're ever going to get when you're three days old. So that's why dog whistles around young children Whew, sends them crazy. <laughs> um, so. Do you have it? So, I mean, if we can't hear a dog whistle, then how the hell are we supposed to hear a super tweeter? And that is the, that is my question to every audiophile. I can't hear dog whistles. How do I hear anything? I think a dog whistle's 25k. I'm sort of talking off the top of my head here. Yeah, yeah. I'd look up Wikipedia, but it's offline. Um, or it was last night when I was looking for something. Oh, really? Yeah, it gives you the page for about five that... seconds and then it goes to a black screen that's an ad for something to do with piracy, which we probably should be in favour of and agree with Wikipedia. Well, they were looking for money, Wikipedia. Yeah, but this Keep was about going. piracy. There's something in the American courts about um, tightening right up and making ISPs responsible for spreading of pirated material. Mm, okay. Is spreading a good word? I mean, you spread yeah. fertiliser, so... Yeah. Um, so the super tweeter was a, or is? It's something that no one ever asked me about anymore. It was a, one of those things, and it reminds me of green pens. Do you remember the green pen debacle? No. Fill me in on that one. Well, you know, see, the problem with CD players was there was no um, mystique. Oh, yes. I remember with records, this. there was various cleaning substances, different brushes, uh, there was lotions, there was potions. But with CDs, you just put them in the drawer and played the bastards. And then there's people that had CD cleaners, and I can remember selling some very fancy CD That's cleaners. There'll be people out there who can probably remember the uh, the dishwasher hydro bath, <laughs> which is like a small dog wash. <laughs> it was like, it was it was the bloody price of a dishwasher almost, as in a dishwasher, not a disc washer. Yeah, you could buy a dishwasher, stack your CDs in it. I suppose the bastards would melt. I don't know. But anyhow, the Hydra bath was a great thing. But one of the cheaper gadgets around at the time that was going to improve your listening experience on CDs and reduce that horrible digital hashy, thrashy, nasty sound was the green pen. And the green pen was not expensive. I think it might have been $12 or something. And you ran it around the perimeter of the CD because it stopped reflections within the plastic 
body of the, the CD. The actual optical part of the yes, CD. Yes, the optical, there was, there was potent, it, it reduced scatter of the laser signal within that layer, and it just, it just improved the sound out of sight. I've got something I want to read out to you as well. I received a press release earlier today yes. from the good folk, and I'm not having a shot at um, Phil at Synergy, but uh, who is the importer of cord cables, because, hey, they're good cables, but as we both know and many listeners know, mm-hmm. discussing differences in sound quality on digital cables, I find yeah, there's concerning. Well, it's black and white, isn't it? Because it's digital. It's on or off. It's it's there or it's not That's there. That's harsh, Keith. It's there or it's not there. It can't. Yeah, there could be error correction and stuff. I don't know. But the error correction doesn't happen in the cable. Well, no, but the point is the cable gets more signal through. Okay, this was about a USB cable. I'm going to get it and read it. Okay. But you are. I, I, I had, had it, it before. I had it before. What did you do with it? It's on the workbench. It's on the workbench. You keep talking. I'll be back okay. in a second. So... I'm a little bit worried now he's going to get the right information for a change. <laughs> and we're going to find out about good and bad cables. Now, well, there is a point where cables have to be made well or... Well, they, have to be, they have to be made well. Manufactured well, yeah. No, no, I'm back. Um, oh, God, you know what I didn't get while I was out there? <laughs> Hang on, I think they're in my pocket. The reading goggles. Uh, here we go. Cord USB. Now this, it's a cord cable. It'll be a good cable. But this is the bit that I want to read because this is very typical, and I shouldn't really call. I shouldn't really have a shot at cord. Cord being um, cord as in a cord in the musical world, not uh, not C. It's C H. Um, Cord's head designer, Nigel Finn, said that compared to the competition, the Cord USB, and this is a USB cable, obviously, we're talking about. As in USB to USB. As in, yeah, as in the kind of thing you would use between, say, your laptop and your DAC. Uh, So compared to, going back to this uh, quote from uh, Nigel Finn, compared to the competition, the Cord USB has far better levels of detail better dynamics, and more importantly, confirm that you could actually enjoy music via a computer and a DAC. I have no idea what that means, actually. But I'm concerned about... um, Is that implying that without the cord cable, your computer connected to your DAC will simply not work or sound shocking? But far better levels of detail, better dynamics, bullshit. (laughs) Absolute and utter bullshit. Were they uh, special lengths or anything? No, no, just, no. Just overall opinion of the cable. And so, just to clarify, folks, not having a shot at cord as such, because there's lots of brands that make such completely bogus statements. Yes. Yes, you should not use the $6 USB cable that you found, I don't know, at the bottom of the garden, but... You can buy a $15 one. And, oh, by the way, a, a 0.75-metre cable in this range, mm. USB. I don't know how you'd use that. 
problem with USB is it doesn't run any distance. Five metres is its theoretical limit. But 0.75 metre USB from that range with extra detail, $95. $90, I think. $90. $90. I, I, I wouldn't go more than 20 I reckon. You've got yourself a cable. Yeah. does the job. Yeah. I, I just don't get that. Now, okay, we have not made comparisons, so our opinion is purely based on common sense, not on actual experience No, of actually listening to it, which therefore you could say, well, aren't you a couple of tossers then? But can someone... Re- is there got to be the hardest sell in the world to say that one USB cable, which is passing serial data... Ones magically does something that improves detail in the signal that you're passing over it. The, the zeros, they round them up a little bit more. They plump them up. They get a better sound out of the zeros. I thought the ones would be pointier and sharper. Well, I think they can do that too. Oh, <laughs> it is the silliest thing I've heard. And there was another thing I heard the other day. Oh, no, I didn't hear it. I read it in the back of What Hi-Fi magazine where they're discussing various, discussing various HDMI cables. And they're not talking about the difference that it may make to the picture, which, you know, is in my book, you know, you know. Irrelevant. <laughs> I don't think it happens, unless your cable's faulty. But anyhow, they were talking about an example. Oh, the monster so-and-so has, uh, similar to what I just read, oh, improved detail and amazing clarity, a much more musical-sounding HDMI cable. What the? F- what? What? <laughs> what are they talking about? So there you go. That's that's bullshit technology number four. Digital cables that dramatically improve the sound quality of your system. Horseshit. Yes. Still, there is a place for quality cables, is in physical connections and and. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, structural yeah. integrity, reliability. Yeah. Yep. So. Much prettier cables. Lovely shades of purple. Pink trace on one. So we're only going to find out one more technology that we find. I'm not just yeah. Well, I'm look analog cables, speaker cables, and interconnect cables are, are make huge differences in stereo systems. We're not going to. That's not what we're talking oh, about. Oh no, no, that's... we're talking digital cables here, and it's just I just don't get it. I don't think there's anything in it, and uh, and cables in the in the analog domain are still really a fine tuning thing. I mean, and you should use them for that, and they they do achieve that. You know, things like you know. Many van and hull cables sound dull and unexciting, so if you um, connect them to a bright over-the-top system, you will uh, maybe balance the thing up a bit more. Bring it down. Mm. Now, uh, fifth thing. I've got one, and I just can't remember what the bloody hell it is. It's a beauty. It only came out recently, and I remember thinking, what a load of... What are you going to use that for? Yeah, they brought it out like about a year after it was any use, and something else was knocking it off already. I know what it is. I just can't think of it. Uh, I tell you one thing that won't be around in two years' time. Okay, hit me with that one. Video stores finished. <laughs> yes, thank you, Apple TV. Just <laughs> on media players in general. Just, I can't imagine. I mean, of course, if we had, well, we're getting onto one of my pet peeves here. Howard government did a lot of good things. What they didn't do. Yep was do anything about some kind of broadband infrastructure, which maybe someone else could have done. But the point is... When that kicks in. There was a reason why they didn't, and everyone knows what it is, and that was that, you know, free-to-air TV stations just gone, out of business, finished. 
That's the big end of town. The small end of town, the video store, same thing. Broadband internet connection at big speed. Video store finished. Finished. Just yeah. finished. True. Because now they who's, got... who's getting in your car and driving while under the influence? When you can press a button. When you press a button. This is assuming the average consumer has it, and they will. That's the whole point of the current broadband thing, that great gobs of the economy are going to have very fast internet at a sensible price. And secondly, um, things such as an Apple TV for $129 yes, and many other media-type streaming client-type products will get a thing out of a piece of wire on the wall into your TV screen with good sound. And picture. Yep. Entertainment and in a small little box. Well, the, the real description of Apple TV is it's sort of an interface, isn't it, between the, the world of you know, streaming digital data yes. and, and a TV screen and a pair of speakers. Yeah. So, video stores, finished. Finished. And I'm, you know, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> nah. No, there's some really good video store owners, but I, a lot of the... A lot of the a long time ago, the video store is a place to go and discuss movies and then be turned on to the latest interesting film by a, a knowledgeable person behind the counter, of course, a long gone. Tarantino was a video store guy, as everyone knows. Mm. Um, I don't know what that means, but... Um, so it may be a good chance now to hoard up your DVDs. They might become collectibles. No, they'll be the opposite. Won't they? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I mean, you can, what, download album cover and content in nice graphical images on your... Yeah, I have to say, you know, like I, I quite like my CD collection and my movie collection, and I liked my album collection album collection until I foolishly sold it. Um, but it, it uh, you got something to hold, something to look at, yeah. something to read. Yep. That's but, you know, you can get over that. Things like the iPad... Well, the next generation will get over it, that's for sure. <laughs> well, they won't even know it. They don't even know that it... it it'd be like us... Uh, it's a good analogy. If you go back a generation or three, what did they have then that we don't have now and we don't miss because we, ha- we didn't ever have it? Steam engines? <laughs> what was the music on the wax roll? Mm, what about it? Wax cylinders, Wax yeah. cylinders. Well... It wasn't really music. It was more crackling and scratching. But So there's a technology... 50% I'd... total harmonic distortion. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, no, there's other things in life that we don't miss, like horse and car. Yeah, we've moved on. Mm. And uh, getting your music... You know, either I've got ESP or future mind or something like that whatever the hell a future mind is but I can remember thinking as a kid one day we will have music on an IC so I used to be rooting around with like TTL ICs or CMOS ICs integrated circuits yes one day particularly when we're talking like EEPROMs early EEPROMs like this stuff like this you know flash memory flash memory is not the right word is it for an EEPROM Jeez, I'm 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 now forgetting more on a daily basis than I ever learned. I think, but anyhow, the point is, I thought one day there will be music on a little thing the size of your thumbnail, 
and you'll just put it in something and music will come out, a pair of RCA sockets. Away you go. Bloody hell, it does. Took a while. <laughs> All right, well, that was a largely pointless uh, segment. But, um, we've still got to think of number five. We'll come no, back No, we to did that. number five. Video stores. Video stores. technology. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, Failed I, technology. I'm still trying to think what the thing is that I thought that is a joke. This is like something that came out in the last year. Uh, I'll tell you I'll tell you one funny thing and tell me where I'm going wrong with this. Some time ago, we went to a big Samsung release and they talked a lot about smart oh, TV. Yes, yes, yes. And they got oh. some very very nice-looking televisions. And they crapped on and on about smart TV and the TVs are two, the two grand and three grand and four grand and whatever. Yes. And then they go and put all of that in a $99 Blu-ray player. Am I wrong or am I wrong? Yes. All right. So that, that's, yeah, that is one of our little topics that we... Well, actually, I think I am wrong because... You have a, like a browser effectively in the smart TVs and the DVD uh, slash Blu-ray player, not slash, it is a Blu-ray player slash DVD player, Yes, has not got YouTube and stuff in it, has it? It's just it got does. streaming. It does. Yeah, the, that's it's funny thing that Samsung have done is the same smart applications that are in the TV are also in the Blu-ray players. So there you go, folks. Trade secret for the night. You may not have known it. You want to buy a yeah. smart TV. You've got a three-year-old plasma. Uh, there you go. Useless technology sold out the back door almost straight away. <laughs> buy Don't buy $5,000 telly to get smart TV. Buy a $99 Blu-ray player from Samsung. Oh, Plug it into your existing one. Let's make it $200. I wouldn't say $99. I bought one the other day for $128. Did you? Yeah. Less than $99. I saw them about three weeks later for $99 over the Christmas break. Oh. They were bulk stacked to the ceiling. So they're really going to have to change. Well, actually, that was the segment that I really want to bring up, Mm. and we might have to do a bit of research on it, but the new sales pitch terminology they have to come up with Mm. to sell that product. Now, smart TVs are terminology. Yes. 3D TVs, another one they Mm -hmm. use. Yeah. Um, Sony had one way back, um, blacker than black. Did they? Something like that. Mm. We should keep a list of all those little terminologies that that keep coming up. We could. We could. Mm. Alternatively, we could just finish this segment and go and crack tubes. Okay. All right, done. All right, folks, we'll be back sooner or later. Bye for now. Bye. Are we a hi-fi podcast? An information on audio video, ultimate audio video. We have our obvious area of expertise. Cut the language? Yeah. Okay. Quick introduction. Do an, do an intro.